Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. And welcome. I'm glad to have you with me. I'm Devin Wilkins, the founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. We're going to talk first about a fellow named Max Ferguson, who worked for the CBC for years. But he was not a happy camper when he got his first assignment. He was given the job of host of a cowboy music show. To begin with, he didn't like cowboy music. And he did not want to be heard by his friends as the host of a cowboy music show. So he decided he was going to create a character named Rawhide. And Rawhide was the one that hosted the cowboy music show. Well, the CBC liked what he was doing and uh, invited him to Toronto so that his show could go national. <laughs> and so uh, he called this character Rawhide, and as things evolved over the years, he um, um, developed and created other characters like Marvin Mellobell who was a, a reporter that uh, thought that nobody else had a better radio voice than he did. I want to play for you a uh, thing that um, Max put together for March 24th of 1961, and he is interviewing the Easter Bunny. So here's Rawhide from March 24th, 1961. Good evening, it's old Rawhide from CBC Toronto, the Friday edition of the Rawhide Show. What we're going to do this evening is this. We are going to play you with what Easter is just a short distance away. We're going to play you perhaps the most incredible tape of a broadcast in the CBC archives. The CBC executives don't speak too much about this tape. It, it's so incredible it lies in the realm of fantasy. But we were able to obtain this, and in just a few moments we're going to let you listen to it. Some years ago, Marvin Melabell was talking to me. I well remember the day. It was over a cup of coffee in the CBC canteen. And Marvin said that a 
Around Christmas time, we hear a lot of interviews with Santa. We see Santa in the stores and everything. Very little has been done, uh, research or documentary evidence of the Easter Bunny. And I remember we all left at Marvin as he started to do some research on the Easter Bunny. He felt surely there, just as there is a North Pole as the home of Santa, there must be a home for the Easter Bunny. He checked with people such as John Fisher and Kate Aiken, who had done a lot of traveling, but they unfortunately had never come across the Easter Bunny. The Canadian Geographic Society carried out quite an exhaustive research that year to try to determine the exact location of the, the home, the borough of the Easter Bunny. But it wasn't until we got Mary Grannon of the CBC, who does all the stories, the Maggie Muggins series, she and Mr. McGarrity and Fitzgerald Fieldmouse proved invaluable. Mr. McGarrity, the man who worked in the garden with the hoe, I'm sure you all have heard of him. He's a friend of Maggie Muggins. He knows where the firefly gets his light and where Jack Frost spends his summers. And things. He gave us some inside information. Marvin went to the South Pole and recorded this broadcast. It's an incredible thing. We're just going to let it run for you now. Here's the tape. Good evening, Canada. This is Marvin Delabel speaking to you from the entrance of an underground burrow down in the ice fields of the South Pole. And I have beside me the person or thing, I don't know quite how to address him, for which I have come these many, many miles to interview. I would like to introduce, ladies and gentlemen, the Easter Bunny. Sir, or rather Bunny, I suppose, how long have you been living down here at the South Pole? Well, I've been uh, down here ever since I got the Easter egg concession. You see, me biggest rival is old Santa Claus. Boy, he ain't got no use for me, that guy. You see, years and years ago, oh, this would be upwards of 50 years ago, I used to work for old Fat. Oh, uh, Santa. Yeah, well, okay, Santa. I was one of his little elves up there at the North Pole, making toys all year round. And a couple of, uh, oh, about 50, 60 years ago, I got fed up. Well, I mean, there's no chance of advancement. There's no five-day week. And all them other smart little elves and smart alecks and little elves and gnomes there, they was making fun of me, and I had me fill of it. Excuse me, why would the other elves be making fun of you? Well, I, I was the only rabbit. Oh, I see. You didn't, uh, there was no metamorphosis. You didn't... No, there wasn't. I was a rabbit up there, and, of course, you know, the way people are, they start to taunt me. So I started out on the own. I just said, if Santa can build up this whole Christmas thing, I'm going to do the same thing. And I looked around for a national holiday. I thought maybe Mother's Day I'd work on. Uh, that was no good. Bastille Day, we, we went right down the list, and finally we hit on Easter. So I took with me, I left uh, Santa's bench, never forgave me for this, and I took about ten of his best little elves, and we got a patent, uh, we took it out on the Easter egg, and we set up down here at the South Pole. I want to be exactly the opposite, old Santa. So we went to the South Pole. The old guys never forgive me. Never forgive me, because I got him over a barrel. Oh, he's fuming. How do you, how do you mean Santa's fuming? <clears throat> Boy, the sun's down out here, melt the snow, the storm's died down. Oh, there comes the wind again. Well, Santa's human at me because I, I swiped his laugh. You swiped his laugh? Yes. You know that, oh, ho, ho. Oh, yes, yes. Well, that's, uh, that's getting to be as much a part of Easter now as it is of Christmas. You see, about two years ago, I swiped that land. Uh, Santa forgot to get a copyright in. Ah, he slipped up on the job, so which means that I can go around Easter time, oh, 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 and all over the place. He can't do a thing. 
But you uh, just let him try peddling Easter eggs at Christmas time. I'd have an injunction slapped on him so fast he, he wouldn't know uh, what's, what what happened. Well, I see. Santa then cannot bring children. I didn't realize this. Santa can't bring children chocolate eggs at Christmas time. No, no. He's hopping mad, too, because he's losing face. All the little kids, they're writing letters to old Santa asking for chocolate eggs. And he can't do a thing about it. He's stuck. He's stuck with them candy canes and the old apples and stuff like that. Oh, you got to get up pretty early in the morning, I'll tell you, to, to beat the old Easter bunny. Uh, tell me, sir, uh, bunny, uh, how do you make the chocolate eggs at Easter time, the chocolate bunnies? Well, me, me elves and gnomes, they make the chocolate bunnies. But them chocolate eggs now, they, they ain't made. Them's laid. The chocolate eggs are, are laid. Yes, a lot of people think they are made, manufactured, but they are they are laid. We we used to we used to make them, but it was too slow. So I wrote oh this be about ten years ago now. I wrote to the CBC Farm Broadcast Department uh, for some pamphlets. And of course, all we do now is we keep this big flock of white Leghorns, and uh, thanks to the CBC Farm Broadcast pamphlet, we feed these white Leghorns a mixture of milk, cocoa, and dextrose all year round. So by about the middle of March, we got it all time, this diet, they start laying the first batch of chocolate eggs. Thousands of them. Big ones, little ones. Well, what about the little chocolate chickens we see at Easter time? Uh, are they hatched from the chocolate eggs? Now, let's not get ridiculous about this. That, that's a that's the kind of a question old Santa Claus would ask. How do you expect you get a chocolate chicken out of a chocolate egg? Let's not be greedy about this whole thing. <laughs> The little elves have to make them chocolate chickens. They make them out of raw chocolate with little hammers and chisels. We stole all the tools from Santa's workshop when we left them uh, years ago. Uh, may I ask you this, uh, sir, Bonnie? How does Easter compare with Christmas as far as popularity and uh, public enthusiasm go? Well, of course, you've got to remember, in all fairness to myself, that, that old Slob, uh, he's got about six centuries head start on me. Uh, you, you mean Santa? Yeah, old Slob Santa. He knows he he knows when he's got a good thing going for him, and he never lets up. He never lets up. Boy, he's going be hey, he's going fifty two weeks a year, this guy, working on Christmas and building it up. But you give me oh another twenty five years, we'll catch him. Sure as fate we'll catch him. Me stealing that old ho ho of his, that that really hurt him. He he let the patent lapse on that, and I've got the laugh now, and we can use it Easter time. Of course, old Santa, he's a hound for publicity. I'll give him his credit, boy. All them Christmas songs. But we're starting to move into the musical field ourselves now with uh, Easter songs. Uh, you've heard Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Oh, yeah, that's a great favorite. Yes. We're also, also bringing out uh, All I Want for Christmas is be, or rather Easter, is me two back key. You see, he can't get us there. He's got the Christmas song, but he can't nail us on the uh, infringement of copyright because we say back key instead of front key. I see. Oh, we're crafty. Well, of course, there is a wealth of beautiful Easter music by Handel. Oh, yes, a lot of nice music by Handel, but it don't move eggs. You can play them there or Matorios there, but they don't sell eggs. What? we got to get more Easter songs on the market, like with a commercial appeal, like uh, I See Mama Kissin' Easter Bunny. We're working on that one now, set it to music. Uh, the Night Before Easter, the little poem that we're going to get out. And uh, the song that'll be coming out this Easter, we'll flood the uh, North American market with is uh, it's a dance, a catchy little tune called uh, "Deck the Halls with Pussy Willows." You know. I see. Uh, tell me, Bunny, what 
is the reason behind this hiding of Easter eggs. I mean, Santa always leaves his toys at Christmas time right out in the open around the Christmas tree, but you always hide the eggs, don't you? Well, I tell you, that's a sort of a hangover from the Depression days. You see, them Depression days was tough. Oh, they was miserable. Hit the Easter egg concession pretty hard. Of course, old slob, old uh, fat, old daddy Warbucks. Uh, please, Santa. Yeah, him. He just wrote it out, you know. <clears throat> He's loaded, see. Oh, loaded. He's been in business for centuries. Didn't bother him none. But like I say, all through the 30s, Easter eggs was pretty hard to come by. So I used to go around Easter time and hide all the eggs. Oh, I, I, I don't mean just uh, shoving them under cushions the way we do now or putting them in a flower pot. Back in the 30s, we couldn't afford to lose them eggs. We had to use them again next year. So we used to figure out some real nifty places. We, we tear up a cement basement. That was a favorite trick. Tear up a whole basement, drop the Easter eggs in, and fill it in again. Kids would never get them. <clears throat> and we take the back off a radio, drop an Easter egg in, screw it all up again. And we used to put a lot of eggs on uh, heavy-duty wire around the house. You know, right in on the bare wires. Kid wouldn't, kids wouldn't dare go near them. Uh, then you came back later and got the eggs. Yes, Easter Monday. Easter Monday, we'd come around, we'd round the eggs up, save them for next year. So we got habit forming, you see. <clears throat> I, I see. Oh, the, uh, the Easter egg business is booming now, but uh, we still hide them. It's sort of a, you know, it's a conditioned response, as they call it. Of course, we make it easy for the kids to find them now, even though we hide them. But like I say, back in the 30s, oh, our books. Our books was balanced so fine in them depressed years, if so much as one kid found one egg and ate it, we'd have been finished. Washed out, cleared out. Ruined. I see. Well, I think we have time for just one more question, and that is, how do you get along with Dr. Brock Chisholm? I'm referring to the eminent Canadian psychiatrist who some years ago had a bit of a run-in with Santa Claus when uh, he intimated that the Santa Claus uh, perhaps wasn't uh, anything more than just a legend. Oh, Brock uh, Chisholm, piece of cake, never bothers me. He's the right guy, a uh, right guy. Well, after all, you are in the same debatable category as Santa Claus. I mean, are you legend or fact, Easter Bunny? Look, Slob asks... S Santa, please. Okay, Santa asks for everything he gets. He, he... <clears throat> I never had no trouble with Brock Chisholm, because I'm quiet. I'm, I'm quiet. I don't... Uh, I'm pretentious. I don't go around looking for trouble, but not Slob or Santa. Oh, no, oh, Santa, he's there pitching... Three months before Christmas, he's oh ho ho and all over the place. He's bouncing kids on his knees. I never touch a kid. Never pick him up. Can't stand him. I mean, I don't like him on my knees. Uh, you've never heard of Easter Bunny bounce the kid on his knee. <clears throat> and as Santa goes around, he turns up about eight stores at once, showing off. Just pure ostentation. Naturally, he's going to attract attention. Oh, that guy can't even come into a house like anybody else. Does he go in the front door and come in quietly? The pig's eye, he does. No, it's got to be a production. Running over the rooftops, crawling down chimneys, busting out in the living room with soot all over the place, hollering at the reindeer, ringing bells. He's an extrovert. Let's face it. And it didn't take Brock Chisholm long to spot him. Oh, no. Boy, he... Brock Chisholm, he don't have to lay old slob... Santa, please. He, he don't have to lay old Santa on a couch to, to figure out him and, and find out what's... and put sodium pentothal in him to figure out what's making him tick. No, sir, boy, I, I play it nice and straight. I get along fine with Brock Chisholm, no trouble there at all. Well, I'd like to thank you very much, sir. I'm sorry, Bunny, uh, for letting me talk to you on this uh, roving reporter broadcast. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to give you as an egg to take back to your kids or something, but like I say, I mean, we've only been in the business about 50 years. We're building it up, and, uh, of course, uh, <clears throat> we're just sort of feeling our way along. You know, things, we're not too flush, old... Don't worry about giving me an egg at all. You don't have to uh, feel badly about that. Well, that's, uh, I mean, if, if, if this was the North Pole, 
You'd be staggering out here with bicycles, electric trains, toys. You know what I mean, ostentation. Big production, big operation, public relations there. Madison, Madison Avenue touch there, old slobs working. I thought it. Santa. Well, we'd like again to say thank you very much, uh, sir, <laughs> Bunny. It's hard to know just what to call you. Call me anything at all. Anything at all. I'm not hard to get along with. Well, thank you. And, and say hello to Dr. Brock uh, Chisholm when you see him. Will you up there? Yes, I, I will. He's the right guy. And uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, you can do me a little favor. Yes. Tell him, when you see him, tell him you saw me. I mean, like, in, in the flesh, uh, that you were talking to me. I'd hate him to think that I was uh, <clears throat> somebody's mother or father, like some other guy I know. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, Mary Easter. Oh, ho, ho, Mary Easter. This is Marvin Millibel returning you from the South Pole to our studios. Well, that is a replaying of this incredible tape that is dwelling in the archives of the CBC. The year Marvin found the Easter Bunny. We've tried on occasion since. Uh, Tom Benson has gone out desperately anxious to find that, but nobody has ever found him since. But that doesn't mean he isn't down there in his little burrow in the South Pole with his little elves making Easter eggs for you folks out there in Radioland. We hope you'll join us on Monday when we begin another week of The Rawhide Show. This is the CBC Radio Network. So there you have Marvin Mellobell's interview with the Easter Bunny. We do have some time before we go to our Canadians Abroad segment. So on the same vein of uh, country music... Let's hear from Hank Snow as he sings Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Hippity-hopping Easter's on its way Bringing every girl and boy Baskets full of Easter joy Things to make your Easter bright and gay He's got jelly beans for Tommy, colored eggs for Sister Sue. There's an orchid for your mummy and an Easter bonnet too. Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bonnie trail. Hippity-hoppity, happy Easter day. Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bonny trail Look at him stop and listen to him say Try to do the things you should Maybe if you're extra good He'll roll lots of Easter eggs your way you wake up on Easter morning And you'll know that he was there When you find those chocolate bunnies That he's hiding everywhere Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bonny trail Hippity-hoppity happy Easter day I should also give you another little piece of trivia here. Max Ferguson got into trouble a couple of times because of the disparaging remarks he made about people in Nova Scotia uh, that sang country music, like Hank Snow, who was from the Liverpool area, and Wilf Carter, 
boy, did he get peppered with letters when he uh, made not very complimentary comments about both uh, Hank Snow and Wilf Carter. Well, now we're going to hear from the Sons of the Pioneers, and they're going to sing The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Were the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay attraction for me for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary so I'll cherish the old I think we have time for one more song here, so let's hear Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians do the Easter Parade. Thank you. 
Easter bonnet With all the frills upon it You'll be the grandest lady In the Easter parade I'll be all in clover And when they look you over I'll be the proudest fellow In the Easter parade On the avenue Fifth Avenue The photographers will slap us And you'll find that you're in the rotogravure Oh, I could write a sonnet About your Easter bonnet And of the girl I'm taking To the Easter parade Time for our Canadians Abroad segment now. So we'll go back to March 28th of 1948, and this episode of The Shadow is called Death and the Easter Bonnet. Now, the Canadian actor that is featured in this series and this episode was Grace Matthews. And uh, she also played in Big Sister and uh, played uh, several other parts during her radio career. But she spent a few years with The Shadow and played the part of Margot Lane. So here from March 28, 1948, is Death and the Easter again, your neighborhood blue coal dealer brings you the thrilling adventures of the shadow, the hard and relentless fight of one man against the forces of evil. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcefully to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Friends, there has been no interruption in the mining of blue coal. Every working day, the blue coal mines are producing at full capacity. Yes, householders can fill their bins with blue coal this spring and be sure of the same steady, healthful warmth next winter they have enjoyed this year. Because of the shortage of other fuels, the demand for hard coal has greatly increased. And for your safety and comfort next winter, we want to make this suggestion. Place your order this spring, the sooner the better, for the coal you will need next winter. Don't take a chance. Call the nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow and ask him to schedule your spring delivery of blue coal. America's finest hard coal. The Shadow, who aids the forces of law and order, 
is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Death and the Easter Bonnet. I know just exactly the kind of an Easter bonnet I want, but there just isn't anything like it in any of the shops this year. Lamont, you're not listening. Hmm? Mm, yes, yes, I am, Margaret. You're talking about hats. Well, I don't know how you know that. You're not paying the slightest attention. Pay attention to know that. What'd you say? Well, nothing. They try to palm off any old thing on you in the stores, but the one I buy must be beige, have a white bird wing, and two red cherries. No chopped nuts? Lamont, you're impossible. Can't you see how lovely it would be? Beige with a pair of dark red cherries and a white wing. Well, why don't you buy one? Well, I've tried. They're just a few little out-of-the-way shops that I haven't been to yet. And I don't intend to give in until I've exhausted the town. Say nothing of me. What's that? Uh, nothing. Well, somewhere in this city, there must be a beige hat with... I'll get it. Hello? This is Geraldine Granberry Smythe, Margot. Oh, yes, Mrs. Granberry Smythe. Listen, my dear, I hope I'm not too late with the invitation, but I'm having a musical this afternoon at four. Oh, it's awfully sweet of you to ask me, Mrs. Granberry Smythe. Now, now, before you say no, my dear, it's going to be quite an affair. Raul Rafiki is the guest of honor. Raul Rafiki? Oh, surely you've heard of him. The great violinist from Bologna. Where's Bologna? Oh, it's a small country in Middle Europe. You utterly fascinating. And Raoul has taken this entire smart set by storm. You'll never forgive yourself if you miss beating him. Oh, say you come. Well, I intended to show up for my Easter hat this afternoon. I'm sure that won't take until 4 o'clock, dear girl. Well, I don't see why not. I've been at it practically all week. Have you tried the Baroness Yolanda shop? The Baroness Yolanda? Oh, yes. It's a charming little place just off Faulkner Square. Well, I've never even heard of it. Well, you're hearing of You think I'll find what I want? If it exists, my dear, you'll find it at the Baroness Yolanda's. This is it, Lamont. The Baroness Yolanda shops at London, New York, and Southampton. I suppose you pay once for each shop. Well, you could hardly expect a woman like Mrs. Granbury Smythe to recommend a bargain basement. Yes? The lady would like to buy something. You're the Baroness Yolanda. I am. I'd like a hat, something special for Easter. Oh, I will, mademoiselle. Um, this, perhaps, pastel green with a sprig of the leaves of the valley. Uh, very charming, don't you think? Yes, I do, but it isn't what I want. Uh, but perhaps mademoiselle has something definite in mind? I'll say, mademoiselle. If she will describe it to me, perhaps I could design it for her personally. Well, that's a wonderful idea. Look, I want a beige hat. Yes, with a white bird wing. White bird wing. And a pair of deep red cherries. Doesn't that sound divine? Yes. Who sent you here? I was told to mention Mr. Rossiti's name. I see. So do you think you could? Could what, mademoiselle? Design it for me. I do not have to design it, mademoiselle. That hat is here. Ready and waiting. What? Here, monsieur. Mademoiselle. Lamont, look. 
It's almost exactly what I ordered. Naturally, mademoiselle. How much is it? Seventy-five dollars. Seventy-five dollars? For that kind of money, darling, you could buy a cherry orchard with a dove farm thrown in. I am sorry, monsieur, but that is the price. Come on, Martha. No, Lamar. It's just what I've been looking for. $75. I know it's expensive, but I've been saving up for this all winter. Besides, I always say it pays to buy nice things. You come out ahead in the long run. Mademoiselle will take the hat? Yes. I thought Mademoiselle would. You don't think that was a little on the extravagant side, Margaret? Just wait till you see how other women stare. Well, that's what you're after. You get better results wearing a picture of Gregory Peck on your head. You know, darling, you're very bright about most things. But when it comes to women's hats, you suddenly go blank. I'm sorry. Nothing more to say. I beg your pardon. What's that? I said I beg your pardon, but I couldn't have noticed in your hat. You see? It's the most charming thing I've ever looked at. Do you mind if I ask you where you've got it? Not at all. I just bought it at the uh, Vanisher Landers, right across the square. I see. I hope you forgive my intrusion. Don't mention it. She has some very lovely things. Drop in and look them over. Thanks, Diane Princess. Take your life savings, Miss. Lamont. Yes? I want a hat. Oh, we. Perhaps you would I know like what a... I'd like. I'd like a beige hat with two red cherries and a white bird wing. What? I wasn't told I had to repeat it. Who? Who sent you here? Red Figgy. Where's the hat? I, I... Where is it? Why, I... I'll tell you where it is. You sold it. You sold it to that girl who just walked out of here. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, you know, Sherry. She asked for it. She knew everything. Even Red Figgy's name, mind you. Who is she? But that I don't know, Sherry. Who is she working for? But that I don't know either. Oh, that is incredible. Eh bien, I have made a mistake, my Sherry. Obviously, the deal is off, and our friend doesn't have to settle with me. Our friend won't get a chance to settle with you. What do you mean? I mean you sold us out. Oh, no, 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 Sherry. It was a mistake, just a little silly mistake. To prevent further silly mistakes, I'm going to settle with you myself. A gun. <laughs> no. No, no, please, put it away. I am so terribly, terribly afraid of guns, Sherry. Too bad. This is the last one you ever have to be afraid of. Sherry. Cab. Hey, taxi. Dear, we've been trying to get a cab for the last half hour. Not quite, Margaret. Well, the last ten minutes, anyway. Cab. Oh, here's one. Oh, glad. All right, my lady, hop here. Come on. Might as well tell him to drive on. What do you mean? I've just discovered that I left my gloves in the Baroness Yolanda's shop. Oh. Baroness! Baroness! Don't think here. Well, she doesn't seem to be here, Margaret, but she is. Where? The floor at the end of the counter. Mark. What's the matter with her? Pretty serious complaint. What do you mean? She's dead. But, but she was alive just a few minutes ago. That was a few minutes ago. I'm going to call the police. There's probably a phone behind those curtains in the back. I'll take a look. 
What in the world happened here? I'll speculate about that later. Meanwhile. Margaret. What? Remember that girl in the street who asked you where you got your hat? Yes. Lying on the floor behind these curtains, unconscious. Uh, you're all right. You you just think that that hat. I remember your hat. Now just relax. You're safe now. What happened to you? Happened. The Baroness. She's dead. Yes, yes. yes I remember now. Mm-hmm. He was telling me his hat when he walked in. He? Who? His name was Gessler. At least that's what they called him. Maxine Gessler. Yes. yes. There was an argument. About what? I don't know. They, they were speaking in foreign language. Then all of a sudden, he pulled a gun and shot her. Where did he go? That's all I remember. Did she seem surprised when he walked in? No, I think he must have been an old customer. Good. Margot. Yes? Uh, take that credit ledger off the desk there and look for the name Gessler. Just a second. E-S-G. E-Gabby. Daniel. Yes. Here it is. Gessler. Maxine Gessler. Any address? Yes. 1041 Fairfax Street. Are you strong enough for the trip to Fairfax Street? Yes, I think. Lorna, I thought you were going to call the police. I am. After I've interviewed Mr. Maxine Gessler. Piece of architecture you're likely to see. Oh, why? You hold on the cab, Margot. You mean I'm to stay down here? In the event of trouble, it'd be tougher to have you both with me. This young lady has to go along to identify Mr. Maxime Gessler. This, the element of surprise is worth more than heavy artillery. There we are, two feet. You step to one side in case there's any trouble. Please. What trouble? There won't be any trouble if you keep your hands in the air. Yes, just so. And show proper respect for this very admirable firearm. Gessler? Maxine Gessler, your servitor. And in case you have not been properly introduced, the young lady at your side is my very able compatriot, Miss Nadia St. Get inside. A slap, I take it, Miss Enlow. I'm sorry I had to lead you on, Mr. Cranston, but you'll forgive me when you see how much we need you in our business. Good work, Nadia. I took some fast thinking to get them here. When you phoned, you spoke of a young lady who had the hat. Yes, she's downstairs in the cab. I see. Here, take the gun. Thanks. Just keep Mr. Cranston occupied while I fetch the young woman. No. Out of my way. Take your hands off Margot Lane. Nadia. Yes? I'm going to have to use violence with Mr. Cranston here. If he tries to defend himself in any way, shoot to kill. Understand? Yes, Maxine. You have made this necessary. You say Lamont sent you down to get me? Yes, he wants you immediately. But he's all right. Well, never better. And the young woman? Miss Sandlow? She's in excellent health, as you will see. Uh, up these stairs, please. What in the world is this all about? I buy an Easter bonnet, and the next thing I know, I'm in the middle of a blood and thunder adventure. You'll find out very soon, Miss Lynn. And when you Margo. do, you... Hey, come on. Margo, stay out of here. Stay out, you understand? Come on, what's the matter? Run, run me, pull it. Come on! Come on! Ooh. 
Open the door, Nadia. I had to stop him, Maxine. I understand. I had to pacify Miss Lane. Getting quite excited. What did you use? Blackjack. I trust I did not damage her lovely Easter bonnet. Return to the shadow in just a minute. Friends, there has been no interruption in the mining of blue coal. We're glad to be able to tell you this because it means you'll be able to fill your bin this spring and be prepared against a possible fuel shortage next winter. Now, here's another important springtime suggestion. You know how the spring weather changes from balmy to freezing in a few hours? Well, that's when you most appreciate automatic temperature control. Why not have it now? Install a blue coal temp master with the electric eye thermostat. It will bring you years of carefree heating comfort. You need never go to the basement to adjust furnace dampers. You need never trouble yourself about regulating the temperature in your home. Because the marvelous new electric eye thermostat will watch it for you. You simply set the upstairs control, and furnace dampers will be automatically opened or closed as needed. You're assured of steady, even healthful warmth at all times. And besides that, the new Blue Coal Temp Master Heat Regulator will cut your fuel consumption. Modernize your furnace with a blue coal temp master. It's easy and inexpensive to install. Tomorrow, call the nearest blue coal dealer and ask him to demonstrate the new temp master thermostat. And now, back to the shadow. came to, she discovered that she and Lamont had been dragged into a back room of Gessler's flat. In motionless silence, they both listened, as in the next room, Gessler and the girl, Nadja, examined her Easter bonnet. Well, have you found it? Not yet, but... Oh, wait a minute. There's something thrown in under the bed. Here, give it to me. Right. Now we just rip out the stitches. Ah. And there we are. Is that it? D over pi m squared plus u over seven. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Our friends will be very pleased, eh, Maxine? Let us hope so. Tell me, our friend, is he going to be late? Uh, let's see. He is his usual punctual self. He will be here within a minute. You think he'll have our money with him? I'm sure he will. He has their funds completed at his disposal. Whose funds? The funds of the Royal Wallonian government. Prompt as always. Mr. Gessler, sir? Won't you come in, sir? I oh, thank you. You are prepared for my coming? Uh, yes, sir. The formula is here. Exactly as we agreed. Excellent. May I have it, please? Um, <clears throat> before we make delivery, I think it only fitting that we collect our wages, sir. Exactly as we agreed. Five thousand. Exactly as we agreed. And now the formula, I may? Here you are. I am most indebted to you. Now I come to a most unpleasant aspect of our relationship. Unpleasant? Why? I'm on highly criminal business in this country, and one thing is most apparent. What's that? I would be most unlucky if you decided to send me out before I have taken my departure. From you the should shore. have thought of that before. Oh, I did, Miss Nasha. And I made plans to take care of this contingency. What sort of plans? This sort. 
Oh, no. Put down that gun. I am sorry, Maxime. Most sorry, Nasha. But I cannot jeopardize the interests of my country. Please, I beg you. Don't. You can trust us. You can trust us. Let's begin. Let's begin. Easy down. What's happened out there? I've got all too clear a picture. Stand back. Why? I'm going to smash this door. Help! Graham seems to have taken care of the books. He shot them. Did you hear what Gessler called him? Respighi. Yes. Raoul Respighi. That is his name. Yes. He thought I would betray him, and now I shall live up to his expectations. And listen. The formula sewn into the head was stolen from from the United States government laboratory. What? It gives complete instructions for the building of the midget cyclotron. Midget cyclotron? The last development in the cheapest and quickest method of producing atomic weapons. Where can we find her speaking? Where is he going? Going. We will find him. 642. Yes, yes. Yes. Julian. Yes. Yes. What does that mean? Silver speaking is gone. I I don't understand. Neither do I. All I know is we've got to stop him. Let's call the police. That's too late. He'll waste no time being on his way now that he's got that formula. It's up to us. Margot. Yes. You heard about Respighi only this morning. Yes. Through Mrs. Granbury Smythe. To get your manners done. My manners. A nice little girl would call up and apologize to Mrs. Granbury Smythe for missing her afternoon musical. Yes, Margot, dear girl. I'm afraid I won't be able to get to your musical this afternoon. Oh, that's quite all right, dear. In fact, it's just as well. What do you mean? It's all over. Uh, Mr. Respighi had to leave on urgent business. When? Oh, about 20 minutes ago. Yes, about 20 minutes ago. Yes, Cordelia. Mrs. Granbury Smythe, what does Respighi look like? Why? Why do you ask? Oh, well, I, I saw someone on the street today, and I just had the idea it might be he. Oh, uh, gold rim glasses? Yes. Short black beard? Yes. Tall, carrying a violin case? Yes, yes. Then you saw him, darling. Oh, thanks. Uh, I suppose you have no idea where he's going. Who said I didn't? I know exactly where he's going. You do? I heard him phoning the Central Railway Station. My living room. Yes. He reserved the ticket on the Golden Express for San Francisco. San Francisco? Yes. It leaves at 6.42. What time does the clock say? 6.40, Lamont. We've made it. We haven't found the Golden Express yet. There it is, Margot. Track 14. Golden Express. Look, Lamont. It's pulling off. Quick, come on. We'll have to jump for it. Oh, I never thought we'd make it. Well, to find out, Mr. Respighi, excuse me. Oh, let ma'am by. Oh, I'm must... sorry. Oh, oh, by the way, I, I beg your pardon. Yes? We are looking for a gentleman you may have seen. Yes? He's tall, wears golden glasses, and a short, dark beard. Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't think I've seen him. He speaks with a foreign accent. No, I... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I've seen him. He's up ahead. Yes, where? It's car four. I, I heard him talking to the conductor. Thanks very much. You stay here, Margot. Well, no. There may be trouble. Well, then, shouldn't you ask this gentleman to go along with you? No, thanks, sweetheart. The 
confidential matter. But if he's troubled, he may need someone. There's trouble, I'll have someone. Who? The shadow. Come back to you later, my lady. It's a very serious matter. Who's this guy looking for? His name is Respighi. Raul Respighi. Raul Respighi? Well, why don't you say so? What do you mean? The guy in car four isn't Raul Respighi. I've seen pictures of him. And Lamont's off in a wild goose chase. Respighi's a country violinist, isn't it? Yes. There's a violin case here on the platform. Where? Yeah, right here. See? Oh. There's a tap on it. What does it say? Well, Mr. R. Compartment 3. Mr. R. Speaking. Where is compartment three? Next car. You want to go along? Will you go along with me? It's delighted. Delighted. Here we are. Compartment three. Hello, hello in there. Nobody at home. Try the door. It's a nut. Huh? Are we go in? Yes. Quick. No, he's got to work fast. Maybe right here in this room. You sound like somebody in a spy movie. Well, no wonder. What we're looking for is some confidential government papers. Really? How confidential? They're practically invaluable. Not by any chance a secret formula for a midget cyclist, huh? Why, yes. How do you know? Because I happen to have it here in my wallet. I thought it's wisest to remove the glasses, beard, and accent until I'm safely out of America. <laughs> I'm a very cautious man. And I'm sure you would have been wiser to have kept your lily white nose out of this situation entirely. But since you have not, being such a cautious individual, I shall have to take rather definite steps. If you pull that trigger, they'll hear you outside. I hardly think they could above the noise of the rails. They could hear if I screamed. Perhaps. But it will do you no good. I have bolted the door on the inside. <laughs> you amuse me, young woman, trying to play an intrigue with a man whose business is intrigue. However, amuse me though you do. I can no longer afford the luxury of your presence. Please don't! Please don't! Don't go! What happened? What's going on here? The window suddenly broke. Something cried through the pane. But there's nothing inside. I don't understand. <laughs> What happened to your accent, Mr. Espighi? Who was that? Shadow. Who's that talking? I cannot see any. I am the Shadow. Now take that formula, Espighi. Don't come near me. Now take that formula. You touch me, I'll pull this trigger and kill this young woman before your eyes. No. I don't think so. I assure you I will. It may interest you to know that a Mr. Cranston discovered there was no man fitting the description he gave you in car four. He wanted to head to the next stop to have you picked up. What difference does that make? She'll be dead before we reach the next stop. We are at the next stop. What? The train has stopped, Respighi. And if you turn around, you'll see there are three American-made police revolvers leveled at you through the broken window. <laughs> it seems like it all happened 20 years ago, doesn't it, Lamont? It's been less than a week. All I can say it was a tough way to get an Easter bonnet. <laughs> no, I'll get it. Right. Registered letter for Miss Marvelaine. I'll take it. Sign here. There you are. Uh, to you, Margot, from the Scientific Research Foundation. For me? What is it? Over. See. 
In recognition and reward for your effort in retrieving invaluable paper of a secret and confidential nature, we enclose check for five hundred dollars. Oh, that ought to teach you, Lamont Cranston. Teach me what? The hat cost me seventy-five dollars, didn't it? Yes. And the check is for five hundred, so I'm four hundred and twenty-five ahead. You see now, don't you? See what though? That I was right. It pays to buy nice things. To come out ahead in the long run. <laughs> and now let me present Blue Coal's distinguished heating authority, John Barclay. Thank you, Andre Baruch, and good evening, friends. It's not too early to plan the spring checkup and cleanup of your furnace. Make arrangements with your blue coal dealer to have that essential job done. Yes, it's essential to good heating and operation that will save you money next winter and to prevent costly rust damage while your furnace is idle this summer. Blue coal dealers have specially trained men and special equipment to do a quick, thorough, dust-free, and inexpensive job of cleaning your furnace. They can also make the minor repairs necessary. Your blue coal dealer will receive many calls to cook, clean, and repair furnaces so it would be wise to call him now and make sure that he'll be able to fit your job into his schedule. Better make a note right now to call the nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow. I thank you. This story is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. The characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Again next week, the shadow will demonstrate that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> week, same time, same station, your friendly blue coal dealer brings you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. The shadow is presented by the DL&W Coal Company, distributors of blue coal. Lamont Cranston is played by Brett Morrison. Margot by Grace Matthews. Your announcer is Andre Baruch. Remember, it's blue coal for finest heating service. It's blue coal for finest modern equipment. It's blue coal for the best home heat money can buy. Well, that will do it for this week. I hope you've had a wonderful Easter day and that we have done what we could to contribute to that. See you next week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.